0: Welcome to Think Like an Owner, a show exploring how the most ambitious CEOs grow great companies. I'm your host, Alex Bridgman. Each week I dive into the strategies and tactics that build transformative businesses with the operators doing it firsthand. You can learn more about the guests and the companies they are building by visiting us at tlaopodcast.com. There you will also find our weekly newsletter that further analyzes how companies are finding success today. Lastly, if you enjoy Think Like an Owner, please share this podcast with Peter and leave us a review. My guest on this episode is Philip Hussey, CEO of Outerland, a landscape maintenance, new build, and snow removal business in Cape Cod owned by Chenmark. Philip took the CEO role through Chenmark's GVP program in January 2022. A concept he spends a lot of time thinking about that we discuss in great detail is their focus on their internal customer, i.e., their Outerland team. They believe by serving and delighting their internal customers, they will do the same towards their external customers. I love the concept and think CEOs of any business can benefit from hearing their philosophy. We also talk about being the high-end service provider and what that looks like, recruiting for high-end, and customer service-oriented companies that Philip admires. Enjoy the episode. Every CEO and entrepreneur needs support from a team of expert professionals like attorneys, bankers, and accountants like Hood and Strong. Less often mentioned, but just as important, is insurance. And August Felker and his team at Oberly Risk Strategies are the experts you need on your team to navigate the insurance needs of your company as dozens of past podcast guests have partnered with them to do. Oberly helps you evaluate what your current and soon to be acquired company needs for insurance today while also anticipating what it will need tomorrow. To get in touch, email august at august.felker at oberly riskcom or visit their website at oberly riskcom And now for some advice and observations on insurance for small companies, here's August himself to share his expertise on today's Q&A. When I buy a business, should I expect my insurance costs generally to go up or down?
1: So we look at a lot of insurance projects for clients that are buying businesses. And one of the common questions we get is, okay, so when I buy this business, what are the insurance costs going to look like in that first year? It's hopefully going to look lower, right? Typically, unfortunately, that's not the case. And it's usually at the option of the person buying the business or the search fund or the or the independent sponsor to decide, hey, okay, do I need to buy some more insurance in year one to make sure I close all those coverage gaps, or do I want to keep it the same? Most times when we look at a company, we do due diligence during the, the, the acquisition phase. The insurance is they're missing coverage. They, they don't have um, the proper coverage in place. They've skimped on certain lines of coverage. That's the, that's the norm. And the option is when you come in and buy the business, do you want to actually buy that cyber insurance? Do you want to buy the DNO insurance? Those coverages are, that aren't typically purchased. So when you're thinking about insurance costs, I would, you know, just as in an abundance of caution, not expect when you're modeling the, the deal for those costs to go down. Um, usually I would say at best, they'll probably stay flat or they might go up a little bit depending on if you want to close some coverage gaps.
0: To learn more about Oberly Risk Strategies, please reach out to August directly at felker at oberly riskcom and visit their website at oberly riskcom I also want to thank our other sponsors, Hood & Strong and Ravix Group for supporting the show. And now to the episode. I think in kicking off the episode, it'd be fun to get some more background on Outerland. I know it's a, it's a company that Sean Joy, who's another podcast guest from Chenmark was a part of for a little while too, but would love to hear the, you know, the background from your perspective and joining back in January, if that's, you have enough time under your belt. I would love to hear how it's been so far and what the business does and focuses on.
2: Yeah, of course. So I joined in January, 2022 of Outerland. So I'm going on 18 months here. And Outerland is a commercial and residential landscaping company based in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. We do about $12 million a year and service roughly 400 customers across a handful of different lines, which is some landscape maintenance, which is routine mowing, blowing, mulching, gardening, irrigation. We have a landscape construction line, which is essentially anything that you can build outside of your home that is not physically your home. So pools, outdoor kitchens large-scale plantings, lawn renovations, patios, walkways, walls, etc. And then we have a fine gardening division, we have an irrigation division, and in the winter, when it does snow on Cape Cod, it did not this year, we plow plow snow as well. So we've been around since 1994. We rebranded a couple years ago to be Outerland Landscaping as we sort of shifted who we are as a business bought it under a different name, and after a couple of years running it, transitioned to who we are today is other ones landscaping. So I guess the other component I'll add are workforce size. Uh, we have sort of heat of the summer, upwards of 90, a team of 90 employees. That's about 70 crew members and roughly 20 managers in sort of the back office account management, production management functions.
0: What drove the rebrand?
2: It was one, it was before my time, before I started here. I was at Genmark, so did have a sort of front row seat to it. It was a push to really focus and position ourselves as more of a high end company, customer focused, a little softer. It was a change in logo, but I think more importantly, positioning ourselves in the market as a sort of landscape customer focused entity the the previous company had incredible processes the previous name and brand incredible processes incredible people it was much more of a volume game and we wanted to really establish ourselves as a as a premium premium player in the market so what goes into
0: like the premium look if you're looking at the digital side so logo website were there any key components of that rebrand that we were missing before or just not done nearly as well as they could have been that you felt were crucial for that that digital side of of the rebrand?
2: So where, where the team was very successful at the rebrand was in, I'll call it the look and feel, but the, there's a lot more plant focus in our logo, on our website, in our colors, really focused on landscaping and horticulture which particularly for the market that we're trying to serve these high-end premium residential customers that is uh, i personally think a much more inviting inviting feel and that included sort of rebranding all the trucks with different types of flowers on it uniforms rolling out a model of landscapes with care understanding that sort of landscaping is requires people to focus really on the craft and the trade and it's an art and not something that you mass produce is the the message we're trying to trying to deliver to our customers yes
0: yeah, so you mentioned it there but would love to dive into what a high-end landscaping and snow business looks like functions how you recruit all how the the team is structured and whatnot but Well, let's just dive into the kind of ideal customer for Outerland. How would you describe that ideal customer that you're looking for? And then if there's a kind of customers around the periphery of that too.
2: So our ideal customer is someone in a house between Um, worth a million dollars, upwards of five, $10 million. And down here on Cape Cod, that's most likely to be their second, third, fourth, maybe even fifth home. And they are interested in what we call a full suite of services. So that means they'll take spring cleanup, fall cleanup, residential mowing, probably a fine gardening package, irrigation, and they may need other work done throughout, enhancement type work done throughout the year, whether that's a new patio, whether that's additional plantings, sod, holiday decorations that installed outside their house. And that's really that's our target customer, and they'll spend anywhere from $7,500 a year on a contract to we have some residential customers that spend upwards of $30,000 a year just on their contractual landscape maintenance. And then at the periphery, we have a handful, uh, more than a handful, I guess. We have commercial customers as well, and that includes anyone from... A 500 home, homeowners association, hospital, an office park, doctor's office, the coffee store next door door to us. And that's more of a hodgepodge depending on the type of property it is and what what they're expecting from a service level.
0: And so if they're not optimizing on price, it sounds like they're optimizing on being a one-stop shop or finding that one-stop shop service, but what other parts of your business or other factors in their purchase decision go into choosing Outerland
2: versus a different provider. So it depends on the on the service line in our landscape maintenance service line the one-stop shop like you said is a big a big push for us. Another piece is the level of account management that they'll get. So everybody gets a dedicated account manager. We have roughly every account manager has a hundred customers are sort of the smallest segment is one account manager has 20 customers because they're all very premium and you get a lot of attention you get the cell phone number they're going to come by multiple times a week if needed they are talking to you during specific occasions throughout the year whether that's Memorial Day 4th of July they're providing a color palette of the different type of flowers for you to select from so very much more of a curated experience if that's the type of customer you are similar in our uh, construction landscape construction process we have two sets of customers we have builders who were are building or bidding more through a general contractor and then we have direct to homeowners as well who may be doing a half million million dollar outdoor renovation of their landscape they're putting in a swimming pool a fire pit an outdoor kitchen and putting in a paver patio or a paver driveway with cobble edges and they're gonna spend a half million dollars on it. We'll do a design up front, anywhere from three to seven thousand dollars for the design and spend time with them just to figure out what that looks like. We have a designer in house who will do that. And what that is is it's just a relationship building time where we're getting to know the customer, they're getting to know our process, and we're providing input into their sort of vision for their outdoors. At the end of that process, when we've specced it out, they may take it to bid if to other landscapers. But if we spend three months sitting at their kitchen table working on sort of the perfect garden plan, they're less likely to go spend half a million dollars with somebody else or nickel and dime for 50 grand. If you're spending half a million dollars on a, sort of your third home's outdoor landscape, trust is the most effective. Inf- Important factor, not hey. Can the guy down the street do it for twenty five grand less?
0: Yeah. What are some things you can do to build that trust faster? I like the the visual of sitting in their their kitchen, a living room with them, and drawing out their plans. But what are some other things you can do that you found build trust with clients
2: of, of that type? So referrals are incredibly helpful. Uh, bringing people the job sites that we've done. Hey, you want to hop in the truck with me and come come down? You know, maybe it's a mile down the road, maybe it's ten miles down the road. But do you want to want to talk to Mister Jones and hear about the pool we installed for him and the fireplace we installed for him? And you can chat with him. Or you know, we have a handful of clients that are happy to you know be referrals as well or be Serve as a, a source for us, so we'll give their phone number with their permission to somebody and say, "Yeah, we'll, you know, call so and so, and see how we did." And you know, not everybody is willing to do that, so that's a big, a big component. And then just being incredibly honest with the customer around timeline and expectations, and not promising that we can get it done in June if our schedule doesn't allow it till September. Some basic, basic pieces, but just expectation management.
0: Is there a, I I imagine for folks who have this property as their, you mentioned second, third, fourth, maybe fifth home is, I imagine someone like that doesn't want to spend a ton of time working on their, their, you know, third, fourth home and landscaping, but you also want to make sure you provide lots of service and they can communicate with you quickly and easily and, and that you're in regular touch with them. Do you find that those are at odds at any particular time where they're, maybe they don't want to spend a ton of time thinking about one of their properties, but good service from your end might require ex- extra communication here and there? Are those at odds or is that just in my head?
2: Not not really. I mean, a lot of these, some, not a lot. Some of the customers have property managers as well. So they have people who take care of the granular details for them. So we'll let the property manager know we're coming to do the irrigation turn on and we're not going to bug sort of said estate homeowner. But we do, we have much smaller customers too. Those are sort of much of those customers are the ideal customer. We do have smaller customers, but we're picking up the phone and saying, you know, how you doing? Happy spring. We're going to be over tomorrow for your irrigation turn on and mulch is going down next week. Let me know if you have any problems with that. And it's less of a curated experience. Gotcha, okay, that makes sense.
0: And with the, we talked about digital and and the rebrand context, but in terms of ongoing service with a client, how important is the digital side of that where they can have perhaps some portal they can log into and track progress and have invoices and whatnot? How important is that versus just the personal connection with? having that dedicated account manager who perhaps could communicate that more effectively over the phone versus a digital side, or maybe they're complementary.
2: I, I imagine there'd be compliment, they'd be complementary. Uh, we have a incredibly robust sort of backend ERP system. The I'd say best in class from a landscaping perspective, the front facing component of that ERP system, the customer facing is not there yet. So, We do allow people to pay invoices through that. It is not seamless, it is not smooth. All of it goes, is pushed on to account managers or in construction or director of construction to manage that relationship through the end. Because once you, what we're selling is relationships and service. And once you try and put up other sort of tech features in the way of that, that is replacing that relationship, then we're not sure we're easy to use, but you're not selling relationships anymore or trust. You're saying, Hey, do you use this portal instead of talking to me? It's like, No, talk to me anytime, call me with whatever you need.
0: What does a recruiting program look like for finding a team that can deliver that kind of service to a higher
2: end clientele base? Yeah, great question. So a couple a couple ways we beat the drum really hard with our refer friend program our management team walks around and me in particular walks around on a daily basis in the morning from sort of team rolls in between 7 and seven thirty. and i'm down there telling folks work is more fun with friends and there's a thousand dollar referral bonus to refer your friend they have to stay first for 90 days and then for 180 days and they're paid out sort of 500 after the friend stays for 90 500 the second 500 after 180 days but really push to have people bring cousins, siblings, we've had uncles and nephews, neighbors, classmates, you name it, bring in people who they trust into the fold. They're much more likely to stay and the barrier in that interview is higher. We find our current team of, of field employees provides that first layer of screening in that they don't wanna refer somebody who may wash out. So that has been a phenomenal tool, sort of just the, the organic friend referral program. The second way is Indeed, which I'm sure you hear all the time. Indeed is tough because they control, particularly I found in Cape Cod, they control the hiring market. And my guess is it's elsewhere. But the more you spend, the more, the more volume you get in candidates and you have to sponsor to get any meaningful sort of candidate volume through the door and then it's on our hiring managers to really focus on fit on attitude on skill to to get the folks in the right folks in the door so those are the two main ways we work on the talent pipeline we have a dedicated hr manager here and we're tracking our sort of headcount needs which let's say they start in march with ramping up from 30 people all the way to mid june where we need you know, sixty, seventy people, and then it plateaus a little bit until we get into fall cleanups and then it ramps back down. But we're sort of tracking labor capacity needs pretty closely on a on a week over week basis.
0: Are there any so once once folks get into the top of funnel, let's maybe use Indeed as an example. How do you what are some things you look for to screen and find that that first handful that you'll start interviewing and, and working
2: with? So it's in uh, the market that we're in right now. You know, I wish I could say we were incredibly picky on who we're bringing in for an interview. We're eager to get individuals in for an interview, and you know, sort of see see what they're like, what they're interested in, what their goals are. We're willing to teach anybody landscaping. They just need to be committed, because again, we're the service business. So anybody can learn to garden or to mow or to lay brick but you can't learn to you know be respectful to mrs jones or to have a good attitude when you show up and that's what we're focused on obviously the sort of top skills you have to hire you either have to train or hire for and we spend time internally focused on what people need to do to sort of get up that skills curve a couple different ways there's a Landscape community is relatively robust on Cape Cod. I like to think it's the landscaping capital of the world given the density of sort of high end high end markets here, but the tech schools are relatively supportive of the industry. And so we had a couple individuals this winter during sort of the off season go through a landscape management certification program where they learned about design. They learned about best pruning practices. They learned, you know, how to do estimates, they learned about hardscapes. And we support that individuals get promoted and raises when they come back and it's celebrated. And so encouraging more sort of opportunities and supporting programs like that allow us, instead of buying talent, allow us to build talent, which is critical. I think the other piece that I'd add to is we have this term internal customers and that's what we call our field teams. And that's a strict focus on making sure that the employee experience here is best in class from a landscaping experience on Cape Cod. So our management team wants everybody to leave, even if you know they provide notice, they go back to school, they take another job saying, Outerland is the best place to work in Cape Cod because how I'm treated, because how I'm communicated with, because what the managers do for me. Easier said than done and we're by no means there, but we are working sort of day in, day out on it. And it's just doing the little things right, like cooking egg sandwiches, you know, 85 egg sandwiches at six in the morning for folks, providing schedules in advance so people know that, hey, tomorrow's a hard day. There's, you know, 15 yards of mulch going down by hand. That's a lot of work. So you can sort of mentally prepare. Doing the little things right from a respect, from a communication standpoint with the teams in the field go a long way in sort of professionalizing the industry.
0: Yeah, I haven't heard that concept explained that way. I, the concept, the keyword, you know, internal customer. Could you spend more time on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's we're in the service business. So our field crews are everything. And without them, we could have the best account managers, but if we cannot deliver on the services we're providing, on cutting the lawn, on on sort of planting flowers, on weeding the garden, on mulching the beds, going to lose every single day and customers aren't going to aren't going to get what they paid for so our first job is to take care of our team and if we take care of our team then our team will take care of the customers and so we w- whether it's getting payroll right like when folks are putting hours in make sure those hours are correct because that's step one of the basic bargain is that folks show up and clock in and and we pay them right so it's sort of and I know you've interviewed Palmer, one of our partners at Chenmark. He calls it, you know, stuff that doesn't take any talent, take no talent skills. So those are they're take no talent management skills, like getting time right. That's to me the basic bargain, you know, providing uniforms, making sure equipment is organized, making sure the schedule is set ahead of time, making sure we're not sending folks home because they don't have, they only have half a day of work. That's not fair, right? Our Our job is to provide. Plenty of sort of runway for folks. And the last piece is celebrating the wins. So we have an all-company-wide Thursday, Thursday morning meeting where we'll talk about things people did really well. If people are identifying sort of upsells in the field, I give out lottery tickets in the morning. There's an employee of the week who gets um, additional bon- an additional sort of cash bonus. We read compliments that come in over the internet or phone or what have you. We also have sort of employee nominations. So people are putting employee of the week nominations in a box. They're nominating each other. And then we read those out in the morning to try and encourage and incentivize people to you know, recognize outsized impact and, and talk about it. So again, work constant work in progress. Because if you want to, and again, it's, it, we're not there, but if you want to be the best, you've got to continue to sort of fight for it and earn, earn the right to to compete for talent in the same way you compete for customers.
0: What do you feel like you need to get better at in that regard? I love all those culture pieces. That's pretty interesting.
2: So the, the off-season is particularly difficult for seasonal businesses. The When we are on, for the mo- most of the business, construction excluded, we are on a March through December cadence. So folks are laid off in the winter, they, they. Some may collect unemployment. Some may take a part-time job. Many of them work um, snow for us, and so they'll come on part-time when it snows and work on an hourly, you know, on hourly basis. But depending on the year, that that may not be much. So we need to do a better job in providing sort of increasing or more meaningful learning opportunities and work opportunities in, in the winter. This year we had a couple training sessions. We ran a horticulture program sort of once a week where people could log in via Zoom and get sort of pruning training or horticulture training with our director of horticulture. We had we got a grant from the state of Massachusetts to put on an OSHA 10 training and a hoisting license training, but it's a long winter. So we need a lot more of those opportunities to make sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain as far as committing to continuous learning for the team.
0: It's, it's interesting you mention, or you're talking about doing snow removal. I think a lot of folks who want to get into landscaping and see the seasonality want to pair it with a business like snow removal to help kind of offset some seasonality. In practice, that seems like a very difficult thing to do. But are there similar businesses or things you can do in the off season that dampen some of that expansion and contraction every year?
2: there's uh, a number of things people do uh, i don't pretend them i don't pretend that we do any of them well but there are a number of opportunities for landscapers in the winter one is just to keep a construction division running full time you can put up particularly in a sort of relatively mild climate like cape cod because we stick stick out sort of over the atlantic ocean we get warm weather coming up from the gulf stream and or have less snow than even you know Boston, which is an hour you know an hour west of us, or Maine, or Vermont, or New Hampshire. Um, we just get less snow because it's warmer here from from the Atlantic. So you, and you can continue to do masonry work all winter. You put a tent up, you put heaters up, you continue to build walls. You can continue to excavate if the ground doesn't get you know rock solid. So that that's an option. There's dormant and restorative pruning, vista pruning, and so that's doing deep winter pruning or vegetation removal. You know, oftentimes it's to be able to see a view, but also if folks are trying to get rid of stuff or do hard cutbacks to to any plant material, winter's a great time to do it if it's not snowing. So those are outdoor, sort of outdoor-related activities. Additional opportunities include um, a holiday lighting or holiday uh, decor line. So putting up, Garlands, Reese, taking those down, taking the lights down, you can sort of have contracts that do that. Many landscaping companies do that really well. We have a small, very small handful of customers we do that for. Definitely an expansion opportunity to try and extend the season. Other landscapers have an indoor plant division. If you have the clientele or if you're by office parks or hospitals, with sort of indoor plants, you could run an indoor plant care program as well, that there's opportunity there for us, probably a little harder given many of our customers aren't here in the winter and there's not a big tropical plant program in Cape Cod. But the st- stuff like that, in addition to snow work, provides opportunities for folks to keep your t- your your top talent going during the off season.
0: I'd love to dive into upsells more. Upselling in, any of these additional services to current customers. How do you go about doing that? Is there some systematic process with which current clients can hear about different services, or is it more one to one and over the phone with their account manager? How does how does that work? How does do you have a what's your process look like for upsells?
2: So we push our account managers to talk to every customer at least once a month. We call it a customer touchpoint tracker. And so every single month, every customer needs a touchpoint, whether that's a phone call, a text, an email, a site visit, anything to say, hey, we see you, we hear you, we remember you, we're thinking about you, if you need anything, please call. So that's sort of base. And it it often is enough for folks to say, oh yeah, I need more seashells poured in my driveway or... Oh, yeah, my planters, you know, I want revamped for July fourth. Can you do a new new install of geraniums out back? The sort of ideal approach is a full property walk or property inspection where and it may be happening once, maybe twice a season where an account manager is walking around with ideally with a customer and pointing out every single thing that we see opportunity for improvement. But the best way that starts is to sort of sit back, ask the customer, hey, pretend money's no budget, money's no, you know, not a factor here. What would your vision for your outdoor space look like? And get them dreaming and imagining about the possibilities and help them sort of with that vision. Have you thought about, have you considered? And then you can provide a full write-up saying, hey, well, the walkway over here is. 100% shade. It's always has moss. Can we put a mulch bed there? I notice you're missing two irrigation zones in this part of your garden. If we add drip irrigation in there, you're going to you know, see a better result from your plant material to, hey, your patio's not level. Why don't we completely rip it up and put it in an outdoor kitchen? So when your kids come down, in the summer, you all can sit around in an outdoor fire pit and make pizza in the brick oven outside or what whatever it may be, but providing those opportunities and thinking, even if they're never gonna buy, it plants the seed of what it could look like. And then ideally customers can't unsee sort of the vision that that they they have come up with. And over time, you can work at providing sort of value in a space to them that they're gonna be happy with for as long as they're in the home.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of it is storytelling and painting a picture for them for what things could look like.
2: That's certainly the goal. Doesn't always happen as smooth. Often it is inbound, but when we're doing it well, we are painting a full story, painting the full scope, and then they're sort of selecting from a menu of options of what you know what they want to do with their property.
0: What kind of companies do you admire? What companies do you like do you study for? High-end customer service and the way they train or treat employees, their internal customers, and and whatnot.
2: So, a couple years ago, when I first started at at Chenmark as a as a, a GVP, I know you recently did a, an episode on on the GVP program. Chenmark put a training on by the Ritz Carlton on customer service, and I I was very new to Chenmark, but I thought it was a brilliant exercised because the way the Ritz treats its employees transcends down to how Ritz employees are I believe it's ladies and gentlemen is what the Ritz Carlton refers to their employees as. They call them ladies and gentlemen. And the way they treat them transcends down to down to the customer level. And one particular anecdote from from that experience that I remember is the Ritz has a program called Legendary WOWs. And their goal is to provide legendary wows to their customers. And it means you know, remembering the little things in their customer profile so that when that person walks in, they let them know that the New York Times is already... They like the New York Times, not the Boston Globe, so that it's the New York Times and that that's already on their bed upstairs with a cup of ginger tea because they know they just got off a flight from Hong Kong. So that sort of level of detail... Is the legendary wows they're talking about? But in addition to that, they sort of provide all the employees. I believe it's five hundred dollars that they can spend at any time at their discretion to improve a customer's experience, and that's up to the ladies and gentlemen of the Rich Carlton, meaning somebody serving you know serving lunch, picking up the towels, checking somebody in to just enhance that experience. So I thought that was a just incredibly thoughtful way. Who think not only about sort of the external customer approach, but the internal customer approach as well, saying, Hey, what do we need to do to provide legendary WoWs for our own internal customers? Going the extra mile. So people say, Holy cow, I can't believe my manager did that for me. Or the customer says, Holy cow, I can't believe that the day before the fourth of July you brought stakes by because you knew my my son was coming down and you wanted to make sure they had stakes. So that's the the type of culture, the type of environment that that we wanna that we aspire to be. So, I'm, long answer, but the Ritz is is top notch from a customer service perspective.
0: I love that five hundred dollars a month spending to improve someone's experience. That's brilliant.
2: It, I I found it super cool and uh, empowering to any employee. Love to get something like that in place here not there yet but that's the goal because it provides everybody the opportunity to be involved in the customer experience versus somebody selling somebody delivering and you feel like you're sort of not you're not involved in in the end product from from soup to nuts
0: it's kind of interesting as a framing too because it says you by giving employees that $500 every month it, it you're telling them that they do have a, a big impact and can have a a big impact on a customer's experience and that like you mentioned like the, the empowerment of that five hundred dollars can be powerful.
2: I th- and I think a, a good example, I just remembered another one, a good example from this session, and and forgive me if my details are are slightly off, but a child forgot their favorite stuffy, stuffed animal at a Ritz Carlton and when they got home, their parents called and said, hey, you know, I forget what it was. My my child forgot Pooh Bear. We think it was by the pool. Do you mind finding him and sending Pooh Bear to us? The hotel manager could have found Pooh Bear, stuck him in a box, shipped him home. Instead of doing that, the hotel manager took Pooh Bear to all different places around the hotel, took photos of Pooh Bear in the kitchen, by the pool, at the bar, in the gym, in the office, behind the desk, printed out the photos, sent them in the box with Pooh Bear back to the child and said, hey, with a note saying, sorry for being late. You know, While you were traveling home, I was, I was learning more about Ritz-Carlton or having fun with the team I met, something to that effect. That's a wow, right? you're not, you'll, you'll go back to the Ritz Carlton. You'll thank them. You don't care about the price. You care about the experience. And to me, that's, that stuck with me.
0: That's a phenomenal anecdote. I love that. And also creative. I was, I was trying to think as you were telling like, oh, maybe like, maybe they bought more stuffed animals or something, but that's, that's the next level of creativity.
2: Yeah. I was just incredibly blown away by the, the level of care that, that went into the, the experience. And that's, that's the sort of type of business we want to, we want to be.
0: What other kind of fun ideas have you come across in other businesses? Like kind of under the radar or oddball, not not oddball, but just like random ideas here and there for things you can do to have a better customer experience.
2: So, I I mean, it, to me, it all comes down, comes back to the employee experience because if, again, if you can take care of the employees, They'll take care. They'll go out of their way to take care of of the the customer. So providing in our case the account managers the autonomy to do the little things right, like hey, if you want to send somebody Christmas a Christmas wreath, just do it, right? And we did that last year. We said, hey, there's a hundred. Re- I ordered a hundred wreaths to the garage. You know, show up at any any customer that you think is a home or account manager that you think is home, bring them a Christmas wreath or uh, not an account, any any a property manager, bring them a Christmas wreath. So trying to provide oppor- opportunities to do the little little touch points right is, is critical, but you have to be thoughtful in making sure you carve out the space to have those little opportunities. So like just ordering a Christmas wreath and sort of having faith that it's going to pay off in the long run. It's hard to sort of do a margin analysis on should we spend... You know, five grand on Christmas wreaths, and what's the payback? I have no idea, right? I think I think it's a nice touch. Uh, We'll see if it compounds with sort of other little nice touches over time.
0: Yeah, it seems like a really hard thing to measure. Like if your referral volume increased, or you tracked all the wreaths you sent out, and then if the if referrals from those customers increased or not, it it does seem like a very fuzzy, challenging thing to measure the effect of. Yeah, like you could, you probably know it's good, but you just it's hard to put data behind it
2: exactly and that's one i think that's one of the hardest hardest parts and one of the reasons why those touch points are often forgotten especially by folks that come in with sort of deep finance backgrounds it's hard to to focus on something that you, you can't you can't see the output on what what's the the multiple on our a, a christmas wreath i don't i don't know i don't know right so, so it's, it's hard to, hard to manage that. Same same thing on the, on the employee side, right? Like what's, if, if you give everyone a turkey at Thanksgiving, what does that get you? I don't know. Should you do it? Should you not do it? Right. So it's those sort of little touch points that I think add up over time.
0: Yeah. I think Richard Reese talked about at Iron Mountain, giving turkeys to every employee at Christmas and how that was a huge culture component to them. And I think he pondered getting rid of it and there's understandably an uproar with that.
2: I I grew up in a family manufacturing business in southern Maine with 250, 300 employees, and they, they always gave up turkeys every single Christmas. And even retirees could come back and pick up their turkey once a year. And it's provides an incredible sense of community and care that um, people bring back to bring back to their families, which ties the uh sort of the employee experience together when you can sort of sync up both of them i think i two more anecdotes on sort of around those little touch points and i got this from one of one of the other chenmark ceos but when team members have a have a baby providing a company branded onesie uh, to that individual is a really cool opportunity to to bring the family into the fold so when uh, our one of our top gardeners just had a baby, he, or his wife had a baby. We presented a onesie that said "Future Gardener" to him. Our production manager had had one last year, and we we provided a, a onesie onesie to him at the holiday party. I thought it's it's a brilliant brilliant way to let people know you're thinking about them and their family beyond sort of the the dollars dollars and cents component. So I, I thought. Yeah. It, it's a little, little things, little things that matter. And I forget who, who told me this one, but they, this company that provides, I think it was Chipotle every Friday, every employee got uh, essentially a gift card for a dinner for a family of four to Chipotle. So employees could go home at night and buy their family dinner from Chipotle. Again, awesome way to bring sort of the family into the picture that's worth well more than the $50 Chipotle dinner per employee. It's becomes a family tradition, right? So we don't do that. I'd love to be able to do something like that as well, though, and include more people's entire lives around, you know, the experience that we want it to be outland. land.
0: Do you personally have any notable memories or experiences where some company you were working with or a hotel you went to or an airline you took, went out of their way for, for you and your wife and family?
2: Good question. So Chenmark is pretty, pretty thoughtful of, you know, when my wife and I got engaged, you know, you know next thing you know, James and Trish are showing up at, at the door with the bottle of champagne, which is, it's very nice and it's unexpected. And it, I think it goes to, to show people you care, which is nice. It's the, the, the little things matter more more than people think and knowing that people care about the people they work with goes goes so so far because everyone wants to be cared for right at our core
0: yeah yeah i agree what have i not asked you about delighting employees or delighting customers that we should talk about
2: oh that's that's tough yeah like what i push on our management team you know is forgive my french but to give a damn right just go go the extra mile so that when somebody's not having a good day ask why right spend the time to understand somebody's situation so yeah someone may be showing up late every single day but we may not know that they're taking care of their mother Who's going through chemotherapy, or we may not know that somebody's spouse just left them last minute. So spend the time to understand why people are acting or behaving in certain ways so that we can sort of, we can be pos- like part of the solution to making at least the component of their life when they're here at work a little less stressful and being able to provide creative solutions to those problems. It's pretty easy to get focused and dialed in on our. Our individual goals, hours is our key metric here. So, hey, if Joe is late every single day, I'm not gonna hit my hours goal. I'm not gonna have the hours for the week if I'm the manager. But if you just continue to chastise Joe for being late, you'll probably lose him as a team member. Instead of saying, hey, Joe, what's what can we work on as a plan to help get you here on time and understanding sort of any any human elements that exist in you know nearly everyone's life?
0: Yeah, the empathy. Peace is a huge skill to develop and really, really important. And I feel like that's something I've gotten better at too, realizing that if somebody is upset around me or with me or just something's off, it's rarely ever something that I did. It's usually something that is going on in their, in their life or their day and taking an extra few minutes to figure out what that is, I've found goes a long way.
2: Yeah, just like little check-ins. Hey, how you doing? You need anything? that's sometimes all it takes, right? So, and I, I, I guess the last piece that we've tried to do here to to some some extent on the legendary wow component with the employees last year, sort of division managers had, uh, I think it was a thousand bucks. It was a small, small budget, but hey, at one point, you know, do something for your team. I don't care why it's at your discretion, but do it when you think you can just blow somebody's mind at they you know you did something for them, and one was I know someone got a two hundred fifty dollar grocery gift card. They sort of were in a tough spot, and their manager showed up with two hundred fifty dollars to a local grocery store. Our construction manager took ten guys to a concert, a local concert, unplanned. Right, so those those little things create create unity and some some staying power.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Moving to closing questions, what strongly held belief have you changed your mind on?
2: So this one actually relates relates to GenMark and sort of my trajectory in my career. I don't have a finance background. I say I went I went to business school to learn how to use Excel and to find it on the computer. I'm glad I can find it on the computer now. Uh, you know, it's the, the the green icon at the bottom of the screen but I am by no means a financial guru or an Excel wonk. And I, for the longest time, including in business school, was convinced that to sort of sit in a CEO seat, I wouldn't need, you know, exponential, an exponential increase in sort of financial acumen and modeling to succeed or to ever get here. And, I've found that by just essentially asking for a lot of help and being transparent about what I don't know, it's possible to still sort of navigate the business world without being this sort of financial whiz. Which a couple years ago uh, I'd say there's there's no way that I'm sitting where I'm today. I just said, "Yeah, right, like forget about it."
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, being a being a financial whiz is not required for being an effective CEO from, from my experience either, or chatting with others. I mean, I,
2: I think the, 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 effective piece is still, uh, who, who knows <laughs> that's in the, ba- in the balance still, but being able to sort of be involved with the team is a fun, a fun process.
0: Yeah, I agree. What's the best business you've ever seen?
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to stay local on this. I'm a sucker for local businesses. This is a main business. It's a main family business, Hancock Lumber. It's sort of a seventh generation, 175 year old lumber business that has both lumber mills and retail stores. And a lot of, I was uh, sort of lucky enough to have been able to meet, meet the current CEO, and I guess he's the sixth generation CEO, Kevin Hancock, a number of times and gotten to know him. And he's really informed much of my thinking on what it means to lead an employee-centric culture. And they have, they're consistently ranked one of the best places to work in the state of Maine. They have like 98% of retention, almost nobody leaves. They're able to stay open during the entire pandemic, operating safely. And what, what Kevin, uh, what I've learned from Kevin is that as an employer or as a leader in any business, your job is to make work a meaningful place to spend your time. Because you spend like the majority of your waking hours there, and he's been able to do that with a company that does has 550 employees, 150 or 200 million dollars in revenue at scale, and have this pretty dynamic dynamic brand across the state. And so for me, that's the that's the legendary, the ultimate legendary wow to bring it back to that. So n- nothing, uh, nothing hip, nothing high tech, but uh, a lumber company in the state of Maine that turns what inventory every like sixty years or something like that when they're cutting down trees. So,
0: any special anecdotes from them that you think about a lot or are trying to emulate one day with Outerland?
2: There's this quote that it's at, it's right on their website, but it it goes back to that meaningful place. And they say our mission is to create a work environment that first and foremost recognizes employees as human beings and ultimately improves the lives of anyone who works at the organization. And to me, that's what we want to be able to do is improve the lives of the people who work here. Because if we take care of the employees, the employees will take care of the business. And that's why we will we'll continue to spend forever. So that that idea of, of taking care of each other is something that you know i admire the hancock family a lot for being able to to deliver on over time
0: it seems like with being 175 years old that kind of culture and flywheel has had staying power through multiple ceos do you think that's how long does that culture decay if a C, if the wrong ceo is at the helm like what's what do you think the half life is for that culture if it if something goes wrong
2: like and you have to course correct that, fair, fair question. I don't. I don't know. I guess nowhere close to the 175 year mark. My assumption or or thought, as it relates here to Outerland, is to make sure there are systems and processes and opportunities in place so that culture isn't driven by one individual, but rather by the collective. And so, little pieces. And again, I don't know if this will work but little pieces like making sure that there are those thousand dollar legendary wow opportunities for managers to just do and that's in the budget right or there's a shift and again don't know if it will work but instead of employees or team members internal customers if you're always calling them that hopefully at least in some sense in some sense the word there's a focus on hey these are these are customers but you know, juries juries out on Outerland uh, sort of 175 years from now, so.
0: Well, I'm sure I'll get there. Thank you so much, Philip, for sharing a little bit of your time. Really enjoyed getting to chat today. Love the concept of internal customers and diving into that more.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, Alex. This was great. So great great to chat with you.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Think Like an Owner. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review and telling a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I also want to thank our show's sponsors, Hood & Strong, Oberly Risk Strategies, and Ravix Group for supporting the podcast. For full episode transcripts in our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at tlaopodcast.com.